Welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. If you guys would turn in your Bibles to Galatians 4, 3-7, it says... So we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Would you guys join me in praying? Father God, we thank you for this time that we get to come together and get into your word. Father God, I just ask that everything that comes out of my mouth be from you and not of me, Father God, that you would keep us focused on your word, Father God, and you would let this revelation sink in to each and every one of our lives, Father God. We thank you. And everybody say with a shout of praise, amen. Okay, so a quiet church is a dead church. Do not be quiet today. I like when we preach, we like to hear feedback. So if you guys want to shout amen, keep going, whatever it may be that you shout, as long as it's not be quiet or you suck, please feel free to shout out. So I need, thank you. <laughs> Every one of you, I need you guys to pay attention to this message because when Jesus came, he preached one message, the message of the kingdom. And oftentimes here at Legacy, we preach a very similar message, and it sounds like the same message every single week. Jesus preached one message, so I think we're okay to preach one message, and that's the gospel. If we're not preaching the gospel, what are we doing here? And this message is going to be very easy for you to say, oh, well, yeah, I've heard this before and tune out. But I promise you there is revelation in this message that will set you free for the rest of your life if you hear it. So please pay attention. Do not tune out. So before we get started, this is a Mother's Day message. And my mom told me, leave me out of it. <laughs> You're going to need this. So they were hers anyways. I just gave them back. I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever felt like you've let God down? That God could look at you and then you would say, oh, that one. Oh, that child. Let me take it back even a step further. Have you ever felt like you let your parent down? That your parent could look at you and be like, oh, I am not happy with you today. If I could give you back, I would. Or you've heard the famous one, I gave birth to you. I can take you. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out of this world. Or you let down a friend or family member, or whatever it may be. Anybody, am I talking to the right people here? Have any of you guys felt that way? Okay. This is the message for you then. Because so often we get ourselves caught up in the ways that God's going to punish me because he could not be happy with me, that I've done something wrong, I've messed up, and there's no way God could possibly use me. This is a message for you. Oftentimes we place ourselves in what we'd like to call term-based relationships. Think of your marriage. If you are a man and you want something from your wife, what's the first thing you do? She gets home, that house is clean, dishes are done, vacuum is swept, floor swept, whatever. It is all done and you're like, yes, now she's going to have to do what I ask because I did something for her. That's the way we put ourselves in with God, that if I do something for him, he's got to do something for me. That if I don't perform, then God's not going to listen to me. He's not going to answer my prayers or I can't pray for that because I haven't done good enough things yet, so God's not going to want to reward me with that. I better start small. This message is a message that 
Satan and religious people do not want you to hear. And both of them, I'll put them in the same. Satan and religious people, same thing. They do not want you to hear this message. Because this message takes your actions out of your relationship with God. So Galatians, I had you guys turn. It says, Galatians, if we set this up a little bit, there's this man named Saul. He was traveling on the road to Damascus, and he was getting ready to go kill Christians. He would have been the chief religious leader. If there was a Pharisee, he was the best of the best. And he's on his way to go kill Christians. And he comes to this encounter with Jesus after Jesus is resurrected. It says it knocks him off his horse. There's this flash of light. And Saul says, Lord, Lord, what do you want? And what's funny here is he encounters Jesus and he refers to him as Lord, even though he was religious and he didn't believe it. And long story short, Jesus sees Saul. He takes him and he changes him to Paul. He says, your name's now going to be Paul. And Paul goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. So there's this man who killed Christians, and then he goes on and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. So if you don't think God can do something with you, please understand, oh, yes, he can. So Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Galatia. He established this church. And what happens? He established it. He taught him grace, and then he had to leave. He went on to his mission. He went on as a missionary. Well, he comes to find out a little bit later. He gets a letter, and here some false teachers have come into the Church of Galatia, and they start putting in a little bit of law into this doctrine. They start putting in their own little things that says you have to follow this or you're going to not make it. So Paul writes this letter as a rebuke to the church of Galatia. And he says, listen, you guys have missed it. He even goes on to say, in chapter 2, he opens it up and he calls them fools. And then he says, if you guys really want to be Jews and you want to be follow the law and you want to get circumcised, who wants to come up first? Offers to recircumcise them all if they really want to be. Because Paul knew that the law could not justify you. So Paul writes this letter to go on and tell him and explain what grace means. So starting in verse 3, it says, Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. So the elements of the world is a more properly defined as do's and you get what you should. Turn-based. You get what you do. My English isn't going to be very good today, apparently. Caitlin is squirming in her seat, I guarantee it. So... That's what the elements of the world are. It tells you that you have to perform in order to receive. And that's the bondage that all of us are in. From the time that we're a little child, when that child goes to grab for something they're not supposed to do, what do they do? They smack on the hand and it's, no, don't do that. So from the time we're raised, we get all these things. And if I don't do something, I'm going to get swatted on my hand because I'm not supposed to do it. Or I'm going to get spanked or whatever it may be. When we translate that into our marriages, if I don't do, if I'm not a good enough wife, my husband's going to leave me. If I'm not performing well enough, I could never have a happy marriage. We take that into our friends, that you all have those friends who only call when they need something. All of this is based on a term-based relationship. I wasn't looking at you guys specifically. <laughs> Jeez. Bree shot me a death look. We can even carry this into our ministries. That the reason I serve is because I have to or God's going to punish me, that If I want to pray to God, I better make sure that I read at least five scriptures in my Bible that I fasted for a week before God's ever going to listen to me. Can I tell you guys that if you're doing that, you are putting yourself in bondage that you're not supposed to be in. This causes us to live by our past experiences, that everything that we do is a reaction of what happened to me in the past. Every morning when I get up and I'm making my breakfast, I'll make like four pancakes and six eggs. And can I tell you, the last time I did it, I reached to get my pancakes and touched my finger right on our skillet and fried it. Guess what I haven't done since? Because I learned from my past that you do not touch a hot skillet. But these are the things we do. We live by what we've encountered in the past. That if I had a bad father, then that's how I'm going to equate God. Because God is 
my father. So if I had a dad who wasn't around or a dad who only ever told me what I was doing wrong, that's the way that I equate my relationship with God. That's bondage that we have to set ourselves free from. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is to receive. To receive the identity that God paid for you to have, that God assigned you. It's easy for us to accept the identity that we've earned, that I've earned the fact that, nope, I was a stripper and I'm a whatever it may be, I was a drug addict. We accept that identity that we're not good enough to be called to be sons and daughters of the king. We live under the idea that we get what we deserve when we're good. We deserve to receive good. When we're bad, we deserve to receive bad. God's grace will always contradict the elementary principles of the world. And that's what makes it so hard for us to fathom, is how can God possibly love somebody like me after everything that I've done? Jordan, can you come up here? You weren't getting out of this. Sorry, bud. That's my brother, Jordan. I talk about him a lot as he comes up. And I think he'll uh, agree with this. Whenever I would tell somebody, I'd be like, Oh, yeah, I got a brother. They're like, who is it? I said, Jordan. Like, Jordan what? I'd be like, Jordan Bowling. They go, ooh, him. <laughs> you had a reputation in high school, right? A little bit. So he's being modest. He had a reputation in high school. So um, you got a good one? Uh, I don't know what side of good you're thinking of. So Jordan, there was a time whenever I first started coming to church, I reached out to Jordan. Jordan used to drink a lot, and he would tell you this. And there was a time where I would, all the time, be like, Jordan, you got to come to church. you got to come to church. you got to come to church. And he'd be always like, eh, I don't know. So finally, they got to this point where I just said, you know what? I give up. I'm done. I can't reach him. He's lost. That day, he shows up to church. Imagine that. When I stop trying, he just shows up. So long story short, Jordan had a job. You were making pretty decent money at Alaris, right? So he was making pretty decent money where he was working. He ended up losing that job because of drinking. And all that happens, and he ends up getting sober and gets his life together. And he ends up working now with kids who are at the multi-county detention center, and he's making a big difference in their lives. But can I tell you what happened when Jordan finally got saved and got his act cleaned up? We, uh, Cody Garbrandt, Jordan and I both grew up with him. UFC fighter now, you might have heard of him. There was a fight coming up. And this is shortly after Jordan had clean, gotten straightened out and everything. And I didn't really want to order the fight at the time. And Jordan told me he wanted to watch the fight, that he was going to go to his friend's house to a, a party they were having to watch it. Here's what religion does. You see that, and you're like, oh, if Jordan goes back around those people, he's going to drink, he's going to fall, he's going to slip, and then he's going to be lost again, and now what am I going to do? So I told you, I was like, we're ordering that fight because Jordan, he has to come here and watch it because if he doesn't, he's going to fall. So we ordered the fight. <laughs> yeah, I never told you this. Next fight comes around. Jordan says, yeah, I'm going to watch that fight. I was like, oh, we'll order. He goes, oh, that's okay. I'm going to go out to my friend's house. I was like, okay. So Jordan goes out to his friend's house, and I get a phone call from him the next day. And I was like, oh, how'd it go? He's like, awesome, dude. He goes, guess what? Nobody even asked me to drink. He's like, and I realized something. I'm the same I was when I was drinking when I'm not, that I am just as fun to be around, that I'm even more of a blast. And it's because he carried Jesus with him. Yeah. You can go sit down now. I'm not actually done yet, but... So, as I said when I opened this up, that what I love about Scripture is you always see a real-life application in Scripture. So, you guys don't have to turn here. I'm just going to reference it. It's in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax office, and he said to him, 
Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew was a tax collector. And the tax collectors were infamous for taking money from others, taking more than what they needed to so that they could get rich quick. And Jesus passed by. He sees this tax collector who religious people would not associate with. And what's he say to him? He says, hey, you follow me. And it's important to see how Jesus interacts with him. He doesn't say, hey, stop sinning first and then you can follow me. Or he doesn't say, get your act together, straighten up, then you can follow me. He just says, hey, you, follow me. So what this looks like, okay, my brother who I was just telling you, what happened? This would be like me coming to Jordan and saying, hey, you, follow me. And the first place I take him is right into the middle of a party and I sit him down right in front of everybody else. Because the first thing Jesus does with Matthew is he takes him to dinner with other tax collectors and sinners. And he sits him right in the middle of the environment that he just pulled him out of. And it says... Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Religion tells us you have to avoid these people because if you don't, you're going to fall in and you're going to be just like them. And Jesus looks at them. This would be like today if we went to the bars to reach people. Could you see the reaction from religious people as they heard that, hey, Legacy, we're having service at the bar this Sunday or Saturday night, and we're going to minister to people. Could you hear that? They'd be like, did you see that church established by Satan, what they're doing? No, you see, that's the opposite is we should be there. And Jesus even says, he says, it says that when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's a difference. When Matthew gets pulled out of his environment and Jesus takes him and he sets him right back down with other tax collectors and sinners, you know what the difference is? Guess who sat down right beside him? Jesus. Jesus sits down right beside him. He says, let somebody accuse you of what you've done. I'm here with you. And when I'm carried into the situation, everything changes. When Jordan carried Jesus back into that environment, everything changed. In fact, Jordan told me a few months ago, somebody got a hold of Jordan and said, man, I saw how you changed in your life and I wanted to have lunch with Jordan. He says, what'd you do? I want what you have. Because that's what the gospel does. When you carry Jesus into your situation, it changes everything. Come on, you can give praise for that. Now, I love the fact that we have organizations out there to help addicts and everything, but can I tell you one thing I hate? And Jordan told me this. He went to some AA meetings with some friends. And the, he came back and he goes, you know, what they said is, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic, I'll always be an alcoholic. I'm an addict, I'll always be an addict. I despise when I hear that. Because that's the elementary principles of the world. When are we going to stop labeling ourselves based on what our past has done? Stop accepting the identity that the world has given us. Because all we are doing is taking what Jesus paid for and watering it down and saying, well, no, I'm still just a sinner. I'm still just a... Speaking of. (laughs) Romans 3.23, okay? Bumper sticker verse here. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It burns me when I hear Christians say, well, we're all just a bunch of sinners. I understand where you're coming from. I get it. Yeah, nobody could follow the law. We were all condemned under. I get it. But can you read verse 24 there? But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When you look at the word justified, break it apart. Just if I. Because when Jesus redeemed us, it's justified never sinned. Because he established me back to what the identity was that God assigned me. 
And he said that you're not labeled by your past mistakes anymore. You're not labeled based on your performance. You're assigned the identity that I willingly gave you, that you're perfect, you're blameless, you're spotless, and you're mine. The elements of the world will always assign everyone an identity, no matter what you've accomplished, no matter how many times you failed, what names you were called as a child, or who abandoned you. Sonship in Christ gives you the ability to no longer be a slave to the basic principles of the world. If you're still identifying with your past, you're in bondage, you need to step out of it. And the beauty about it is, when Jesus set us free, he he opened our prison door. And for us to keep identifying ourselves as just a sinner, the door is open, all you got to do is walk out of it. But we're willingly staying in that place that we're not supposed to be in. All right, back to Galatians. So if we continue into verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Okay, so here you go, religious people. We're going to talk about the law now. The law came with one purpose, and that purpose was to condemn everybody under it, that nobody could follow it, that if you broke one of the laws, you broke them all. Has anybody ever been mad at somebody? Anybody ever stolen anything? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Anybody ever committed adultery, whatever it may be. And you don't have to raise your hand at these. I'm not taking a quiz. <laughs> but the point is, all of us have sinned, right? Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. Jesus comes onto the scene. He's born under the law, and he has a sermon on the mount. He says, listen, you've heard it say, hate your enemy, or love your neighbor. But I tell you, you should also love your enemy. It says, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, you've even looked at somebody with lust, then you've committed adultery. Jesus comes, and he ranks it, like, takes it up a whole nother level. And he says, All you Pharisees and religious people who want to pick and choose what you follow, look at this. You can't do it on your own. You could never be made righteous under the law. And all the law did was it came and it condemned everyone under it to show us all that we were in need of a savior because we couldn't do it on our own. So when it talks about the fullness of the time to come, there's a thing in scripture that talks about it's about an appointed time. And this means that everything had to happen. There had to be the exact moment for something to take place. God waited until the Roman Empire was established before he sent Jesus onto the scene because he needed to have an environment that he could model after what it looks like to be kingdom citizens. And Rome modeled it perfectly. They had ambassadors who went into other countries to conquer them. And what that ambassador did was that ambassador had the full representation, full authority of his environment that he came from. So what that means for us is we're ambassadors in Christ, which means we have all the power from heaven to bring to earth. God wanted to show what it looked like to be sons and daughters in a kingdom, not slaves. So he had to wait until that fullness of the time had come. So once it did, Jesus comes onto the scene, and it says that he came to redeem us so that we're under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So if we were redeemed under law, we have to have a pretty good definition of what redeemed means, right? For something to be redeemed, it means it has to be restored to its original identity. So my phone here. If I set it right here, and then my phone sends and it falls, I have a case on it, don't worry, and it's already cracked. My phone falls, okay? So I'm going to redeem it. If I pick it up and I place it right here, is that redeemed? Why? It's not in its original spot. Its original identity is right there. Us as Christians, when God came and redeemed us through Jesus, he has restored our identity to what it was when he originally established it, that we were ambassadors in the kingdom, that we had dominion over the earth, that the earth was no longer to have control over 
the humans, that Adam and Eve were told you were to have dominion over all this, all the birds of the air, the cattle, and you were to manage everything. Nothing was going to rule over you. And then they had fallen short. Sin enters. They lose their position in the kingdom. But Jesus comes and he restores it for all of us, which means that we are now right where we used to be. We have dominion over all the earth. We have authority, that our circumstances no longer define us, that our environment is not able to change us. In fact, when you look at Jesus, when he's crossing over the sea, there's a storm that happens and Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat and his disciples are freaking out. They're going, what are we going to do? Like, Jesus, wake up. Why are you sleeping? And Jesus opened his eyes like, what are you talking about? And he just tells the storm to stop. Jesus could rest in the middle of his circumstance because he knew his circumstance had no power over him. The same is true to us. That our circumstance does not have to change for us to change everything around us. That we can be in the middle, like I said about Jordan, he can be in the middle of a party and bring the gospel to all of his friends who have never heard it because he takes Jesus with him. That all of us can go into our environment and completely change it, our workplace, our marriage. Every aspect of our life can be changed because we have the authority to change it now. And our circumstance cannot shake us because those are lies that Satan wants to use. He wants to tell us, no, you're not good enough, that you can't do it. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? You're mine and you have all my power. All you have to do is exercise it. I'm going to be out of breath before I even get done. All right, so. It says that we were slaves. And it says that Jesus came and redeemed us. Now, a slave, if a slave is purchased by a new master, what is that slave? Slave? Exactly. You guys are teacher's pets up front. A slave purchased by another master is still just a slave. But what does Jesus do here? He says, you know what? No, no, no. I'm purchasing them back. I see what it cost. Because in order to redeem something, it had to be originally yours. You lost it, and then you had to pay for it again. And Jesus said, here's my body. I'll pay for them. They're my sons and daughters, and I'm buying them back. And it says that when he bought them back, he signed our adoption papers and made us sons and daughters. He says, I don't want servants that serve underneath me. I don't want slaves that have to reform. I want sons and daughters that I get to enjoy and rule with. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that we're not a bunch of slaves that have a master who's waiting to whip us every time we mess up. We have a father who loves us unconditionally and says, I just want what's best for you, child. Just follow me. Janelle and I, we finally got our finalization date with Harper. We get to officially adopt her in eight days. It's the most beautiful thing ever. In eight days, my daughter officially has my last name on her. And what does that mean? I am legally responsible for her. I am financially responsible for her. It is my job to do everything I can to take care of her. God adopted us. Do you know what that means? We are legally his. It is his financial responsibility to take care of us. It is his job to provide for us. And it's important that we understand Hebrew culture. Because nowadays, this would never happen... But nowadays, if Harper made me mad, I could just say, you're not in my will anymore. I'm done. Nope. But do you know what it means as a Hebrew father? You are legally bound that your child gets your inheritance. You cannot amend it. You can't do anything about it. They get what's yours when you go. Because they are legally bound to provide for their children. And that's why in the fullness of the time, God needed that culture established so he could show us what it looked like to be sons and daughters. Thank you, Tim. And it goes on to say, and because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. It's important that we accept this identity that God's purchased for us. It's important that we understand that we are sons and daughters and we're not just a bunch of slaves and servants. We're not based on performance. We're not based on having to keep the law to be accepted. That when God created Adam and Eve, he looked at them before they ever did anything and he said, it is very good. When Jesus started his ministry and he gets baptized in the Jordan, he comes up this before he ever performed any miracles or anything. And God said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. God's love for us is not dependent upon our actions. Now, please hear me, because it says in Galatians that grace is not a liberty to sin, because there's a difference between performing under obligation because you have to and doing something because you want to make your parents proud. There's this book called Culture of Honor by Danny Silk. It's tremendous. I recommend everyone read it if you can. And he talks about his son getting ready to go to a high school football game, and they raised him in a private school, and at this point he's going to public school like, oh boy, I know what we did at football games, and it was not watch football. So they debated about it. He goes, okay, son, I'll, I'll let you go. Just let me know. I'm really scared. I'm letting you know. I'm scared of what's going to happen right now if I let you out into that environment. And he goes, he goes to pick up his son, and he's like, I know what's going to happen. He's going to be somewhere else. He's going to be drinking, whatever it may be. He goes to pick up his son, and his son is right where he said he was going to be. And he picks up his son, and his son's telling him all about the game and how he loved the colors of the uniform and all these things. And when he drops his son back off at the house, his son says, thanks, Daddy, for trusting me. Understand, that's the love of a father, as it says. I'm, I'm not ruling over you with a thumb. I'm giving you freedom, and I'm trusting you not to let me down and to have, you have my heart in your hands and just don't break it. So I threw my mom tissues, and I haven't yet got to making her cry yet. So we better get to that point, right? So as I said before, I like to practically put things into perspective. And I want it to be known that I was the good child in our family. Jordan, Courtney, if you disagree with me, do you? No, I didn't think so. No. I was the good child. But there was this point where I put my mom through some pretty rough times. And it would always come where there would be a point where I felt like I let her down. So this is what I would do. I'd come home. I'd be in trouble because I knew I did something I wasn't supposed to. And my mom would go to correct me. And my response was this. You know what? I'm just going to go live with my dad. I'm going out on my own. See ya. And you know what burned me all the time? Her response. Want me to help you pack your bags? What? When my sister says that, you cry and stop her. I say, hey, you want to help me pack my bags? So there came this point one night where I was like, you know what? No. Uh Uh-uh. I'm going. I fly down some back road, and what happens? A deer jumps out in front of me. I was like, oh, my God, I just about died. So what happens is I was like, I don't want to go to my dad's. Oh, I'm turning around. So I turn around, and I did this on an occasion two or three times. And every time when I walked back through the door, I'd see the same thing. My mom was sitting on the couch crying her eyes out because I left. But she never once stopped me from leaving. And I had two visions when I was preparing this message, and this is one of them. The story of the prodigal son and the son leaves. The father did not stop the son from leaving. In fact, he gave him what he asked for. He said, okay, here you go. You want your inheritance now? You can have it. Here you go. And I asked myself, I was like, why would the father, because when you understand the father was a depiction of God, why would the father let the son go knowing what was going to happen? And it goes to our relationship. God does not want 
a bunch of slaves that just have to listen to him. He said, I want sons and daughters. If you want to go, child, I'll let you go. But you're going to find me in the same place, sitting here on the porch, waiting for you to get home, tears streaming down my face, because I want you back so bad, but I can't stop you if you want to go and try and find your own way. But I know that what I have for you is more important than what you're going to find out there, that you're never going to find fulfillment and satisfaction out in the world. You're going to find it in the Father's love. And when I thought about that, when I stormed out of the house, every time I came home, I found my mom in the same place, crying on the couch. But she was always there waiting when I would get home. And this is where I'm going to start closing. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 11, starting in verse 11. This is the story of the prodigal son, and it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when they had spent all their, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. What happens here is the prodigal son, he goes and he says, I'm going to find my own way, that I'm not happy with what's going on at home right now, so I'm leaving. He finds out that life outside of the father's house isn't all that great. That after you get your little wild moments out, you realize there's not much left. And there's nothing that he's happy about. And he says, you know, all I want is just something to eat. That I would just eat what the pigs are eating if I could just have it. And he comes to this point where he says, you know what? At least my father's servants back home were fed. And I don't, Heather, could you come up on the keys? I want you all to put yourself in this spot. If you felt like you've ran so far from home, if you've ran away from the Father's love, and you just feel like there's no way you could possibly come back, I need you all to hear this. And don't miss this last part of this message. This is where the prodigal son found himself, that he was labeled by the world that, if you understand what prodigal living man meant, he spent his money on prostitutes. And if it would be in this time and age he'd have been the one who was crawling out of the bar at 4 a.m. smelling like booze and a needle in his arm and he says I just want to go back home and be a servant to my father at least then I'll be fed so he has this whole speech planned when he gets home and trust me I can tell you this this is what I would do when I go to return home I was going to justify why I left and how I'm so sorry and if I just say the right words my mom's going to forgive me and I'm not going to get punished gets to the point where he's a long way off from his father and his father's sitting on the porch waiting we don't know how long that prodigal son was gone 
But we do know that the father's sitting there waiting, so it's a good chance that that father was sitting there for the time his son left while that porch just waiting for him to come home. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So what happens is this father, and you have to understand in Hebrew culture, the father did not run. He sees his child coming from a long ways off and he takes off running. And before the child can even start apologizing, he throws him, starts kissing him and he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't have to justify what you did. I don't care. You're home. You're my child. And that's what matters. And there comes this point in here. He tells the servants to go and get sandals to put on his son's feet. And it's so important that you catch this. The servants in this parable would have been the angels. And he tells the angels to go and get sandals for my son's feet. Because slaves did not wear shoes, but sons had shoes. And before his child could ever repent or do anything, he says, no, you don't understand. You're still my child. He gives him his ring. And the ring means that he has access to the father's resources, that everything that the father has is his. And he established it again. And then he puts his coat over him. And that coat established his identity that he's his father's again. And his father said, I don't care how far you ran, you're home and that's what matters. As adopted sons and daughters, we have the same position. And can I tell you, our daughter, oh man. We had to spend 72 hours before we could bring her home. And I can't tell We went from times of being so happy to times of tears streaming down our face and us just so scared that something was going to happen and they were going to take her back. But when we got in that car, three days later, we get in that car and Janelle's in the back seat and I feel this hand come on my shoulder and she says with tears, baby, we finally got our baby. We finally got our child. And can I tell you what God gave me a vision of was him sitting on the throne and Jesus right beside him and one of us come home. And he turns to Jesus and he says, God, Jesus, we finally got our baby back. He's finally come home. Stand with me, church. All God's wanting is for our children to desperately come home. If you've never put faith in Jesus before, if you've never accepted your identity as a son, today's the day. If you've been bound by religion telling you that you have to perform and you're not good enough, today's the day that you're set free from it. Today's a day for celebrating. If you've never put faith in Jesus for your salvation and you want to receive that adoption as a son, can you shoot your hand up real quick? Can we turn a couple of the lights down? That's good. If you guys could bow your heads with me. This is for the sake of privacy. If if you want to receive Jesus today, I'm going to count to three and I just want you to shoot your hand up real quick. And understand what you're receiving is the Father's love. You're not being bound by a bunch of rules and religion. You get to step into what the Father has done for you. So on the count of three, if you just shoot your hand up real quick, I want to pray for you guys. 
One, two, three. Just shoot your hand up real quick. Thank you. Somebody's coming home into the Father's house today. And that's reason to celebrate. If you guys would just give some praise to God, we got one coming home. guys join me in praying for Father God, we thank you so much that we get to celebrate one of your children coming home today, Father. Jesus, we thank you for your love, Father. It's not dependent upon what we do. It's who you are, Father God, that you love us. Father God, we thank you. It says that all of heaven's rejoicing right now because one has come home, Father. Thank you so much, Jesus. Let's give him some praise, guys.